0: Misha here. If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company, or your company is advancing a new, novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and in CEO Daphne Kohler don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them they sent you.
1: You're about to hear a story by comedian Chris Duffy. Chris is also the host of You're the Expert, a public radio show where three comedians try to guess what a leading scientist does all day. Once the comedians figure it out, they interview the scientist about why his or her work matters. The show is fun, it's funny, and you might even actually learn something. And if you like the Story Collider, I think you'll love You're the Expert. You can find them online at theexpertshow.com, or on any podcasting app. A science story, huh?
0: Is that why you're a I felt it. Right. I was so happy. And I just happy. thought, well, well. It, wow. out. Feel it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Chris Duffy. It was recorded in March 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn.
2: Um, So, obviously, I am not a scientist, I am a comedian, uh, but I do interview scientists on this radio show that I do, uh, called You're the Expert, and uh, over the course of many years of doing the show now, I have talked to people who study everything from poisonous snails to uh, people who study nuclear fusion, nuclear fission, I think, uh, is actually the one that exists. (laughs) And it got me thinking that there's got to be people out there who actually study the neuroscience of laughter. And maybe those people could help me to become funnier as a comedian. Uh, and so over the past few months, I have been finding, taking findings from neuroscience and trying to put them into effect in my comedy club performances. Uh, And uh, I was very skeptical at first. I was skeptical that this could possibly make me a funnier comedian. But uh, I tried it anyway. And uh, here's the first thing that I encountered is the first big theory as I was doing some research that I ran into is this theory of benign violation. Uh, And so benign violation theory says that the reason why we laugh is because someone says something that is either scary or offensive. And then because of the context or the tone, we realize that it's actually benign. And that's why we laugh. So I was in a comedy club, and I tried to put this into effect. I was like, I'm not going to do my regular jokes. Instead, I'm going to try things that are from benign violation theory. Uh, So the way that I tried this was I found a friendly-ish looking man in the front row. And I said to him, hey, you're ugly. And uh, no one laughed. Uh, In fact, the audience like clammed up in a way where I was like, this is very uncomfortable. And then I was like, got to make it benign. So I said, I'm just joking. And then not only did people not laugh, they were now confused as like, what is happening in this room? And then I got really nervous, like actually legitimately embarrassed. And I was like, I'm, why did I say this mean thing to this guy? And so then I was like, no, I'm sorry. Like, sir, I was really just joking. You're legitimately not ugly at all. I'm sorry. And I like blushed really big. And then everyone did laugh. And then I was like, does benign violation theory work? Or is this just something because people are laughing at my genuine discomfort? So I feel like I have to chalk that one up to uh, a maybe. Maybe that one worked. Um, and you know, one of my favorite quotes about science is uh, Isaac Asimov, who said that uh, all the really amazing findings in science—they don't happen when they happen. Someone doesn't say "Eureka." Instead, they say. That's funny. And uh, I think that's also really interesting as a comedian because in comedy, the best jokes, when you tell them, people don't say that's funny. In fact, if they say that's funny, it's a bad sign. Uh, What happens is if you tell a good joke, they should laugh. You want this involuntary reaction. So I feel like in a similar way, we're trying to get something different from these people. So I took more of these theories and I I took a couple of uh, notes that I wanted to tell you on. Um, so okay, the next one is I dug into the history of what could the first joke have been, and there's a uh, neuroscientist named Robert Provine who wrote a great book about laughter, and his theory is that the oldest joke, one that actually still works even on primates, is "I'm gonna get you," you know, where you like have a little kid and you're like <gasps> chasing them, and you're like "I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you," and uh, that makes people, that makes children laugh. It also makes uh, chimpanzees laugh, and so I was like, let's see if it makes drunk people in a comedy club laugh. <laughs> So, I was at a comedy club, and I went up again to someone in the front row who had the unfortunate uh, distinction of being the first person I saw, and I kind of faux-tickled them and said, like, I'm going to get you, and this was, if not the most awkward moment of my life, certainly close to it. I would say a categorical disaster, both as a comedian and as a human. I've never wanted to disappear more. As this full-grown middle-aged man was just like, I am being assaulted. Please don't get me. And... That was a point where I thought like, okay, there is no chance that this is gonna work. Like comedy is not a science, it's an art. It's not ever gonna be replicable in this way. There's not like a formula that you can then apply and all of a sudden anyone can just make the same joke and it's just these words in this order. So at this point I was like, there's no chance at all. Um, But then I started to actually realize that maybe Uh, I was just using it on the wrong audience. So I took this same joke, right? I took the the, I'm gonna get you joke and I applied it to my seven-year-old cousin and she thought it was amazing, right? I went to her and I was like, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you and she laughed really hard. So I was like, maybe it's just I was using the wrong study population. Uh, In fact, side note, her favorite joke of all time is uh, knock knock, interrupting starfish. And then you st- put your whole fa- hand on her face. <laughs> and she loves that. She thinks that's the best joke of all time. So I was like, okay, so maybe it's just a levels joke. Where she likes a starfish joke that doesn't work as well on humans that are older than seven. Maybe also the gotcha joke is going to work on different populations. And then uh, I was looking at a, some more research about what makes uh, primates laugh. And uh, one of these other old forms of jokes. And there's a lot of evidence that uh, Cocoa, the gorilla actually used some, some jokes when she was signing. Uh, and one of the jokes that I liked the most is once Coco was angry with her handler, and instead of using her handler's name, she signed the words for dirty toilet and pointed at this person. <laughs> which I think is a very good joke. Like, that's not just a good joke for a gorilla. I think that's a great joke for a human as well. Um, and I've used very similar tactics when people have heckled me at comedy shows and gotten great results. So... That actually kind of sparked something for me where I was like, maybe the problem is that I'm trying to push things forward instead of looking back at jokes that work and trying to figure out why those jokes work. And so when I looked back at why Coco's dirty toilet joke is funny, uh, the theory that is on that one is that it's misnaming, that we know that it's something and it's actually something different. And I realized I actually have a joke that I tell in my act normally that is a misnaming joke. So this is true. My name is Chris Duffy, um, but also true is my mom is a Jewish woman named Deborah Cohen. And so, people are often like, how did your Jewish mother name you Christopher, right? How did she not realize that that is Christopher? And the true, the true story is that until I was three years old, my mom did not realize that Christopher came from Christ. Uh, which is just my dad winning on every level. And it also explains why my little brother is named Yonah Schimmel.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, so that's not true. He's not named Yonah Schimmel. I'm glad that you laughed. That shows that we're on the same page. I told that joke in Boston and nobody laughed. And I was like... That's, that's not his real name. That's the name of a knish store on the Lower East Side. And they were like, what's a knish? And I was like, I see the problem. <laughs> but I realized, like, that is a misnaming joke, okay? So maybe the problem is just, like, I'm trying to push the string forward instead of pull the string through. And uh, so then I started looking at other theories and seeing if they could apply to things that I have told. And um, this scientist, Matthew Hurley, his assumption with humor is that the, we laugh when we, there's an assumption that we've committed to that turns out to be flat-out wrong. And so I thought about, do I have any jokes that work on that assumption? And I have one where there is something that I believe to be true, and then totally turned out that it was not. So before I was a comedian, I was a fifth grade teacher. And sometimes people ask, like, why did you quit teaching and and start doing comedy? And um, there were a lot of reasons, but one was that there was this pivotal day where I went into the school, and a fourth grade boy had gone into the boys' bathroom, opened up the soap dispenser, and pooped into the soap (laughs) dispenser which is technically quite impressive and also diabolically genius because what happened is at a certain point the school started to smell bad and then all the teachers were like go wash your hands again and when we realized what had happened it was like an inception moment where we were like the soap is poop the poop is soap no and that was the moment that i quit teaching And I realized that is a misconception. That was a conception that soap has to be clean that I had committed to fully. And then when I realized that it was not, some humor arose and horror, I guess. But humor and horror are very closely connected. Um, So that's one. And then... So then, it, it made me think, like maybe this is really actually uh, a real thing. Maybe these neuroscientists actually are onto something. And so I went back to the benign violation theory, and and that is the pet project of this guy Peter McGraw, who's at um, UC Boulder. And he actually has a video where he tries to apply benign violation theory and make someone who is not funny funny. And uh, this video is for. Inexplicable reasons up on espn.com and, uh, and I loved it. I think it's a hilarious video. I actually showed it at one of my comedy shows and it was more successful than many of my jokes and uh, here 's what it is is he gets this guy who's not uh, not very funny he 's just like this kind of average white guy who's the uh, head of a brewery in Boulder, and uh, this guy doesn't really talk very much and they, they use benign violation theory to try and get him to be funny and so they, they put him through all this battery of tests and Over the course of the video, what happens is uh, they rank him as not funny at the beginning and then the end, he tries to tell these jokes and they ask all his friends and family if they think he's funnier. And what they find is that he actually is not funnier at all. But the one measure where he demonstrably made a lot of progress is he thinks that he is much funnier now. (laughs) And so I I have come to you with a very optimistic uh, and hopeful conclusion, which I found both in myself and in this video, which is that science may not be able to make a white man actually funnier, but it certainly can make a white man more confident that he is actually hilarious. Um, Thank you very much. That's my name. That's my time. Chris Duffy. That was
1: Chris Duffy. Chris is an NYC-based comedian who performs across the country. His shows have been featured in the New York Times, Boston Globe, Washington Post, and in the Onion AV Club. Chris is the creator and host of You're the Expert, a live show, podcast, and public radio program on Boston's WBUR, where three comedians try to guess what a scientist does all day. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wack, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Evelyn. Additional from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio, the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Jokes for being funny. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your
2: crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.